This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, and then there were two. We'll talk about my time in the tune. David Brock and Kyle Rubish will stop by. And Corey Conway absolutely torched the Western Lacrosse Association records. All this week and more on OTCB. I am an And what it is going to be. Hello, lacrosse fans. How are you? And welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio and SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner, and well, for the first time ever, first time in three years, take your pick. They both work in the same argument. But for the first time since the inception of of the tiebreaker, that's what we're supposed to call the mini game. Um, since the tiebreaker was put in place two years ago, this was the first time that the divisional finals did not go to a 10-minute tiebreaker. And you know what? We are treated to some great lacrosse in spite of it. And in the end, I truly believe that the two best teams came out on top and that we will be treated to the best possible final we could have asked for. Before we get going, um, if you'd like to get a hold of me, and maybe you want to refute that last statement of mine, um, or argue it, or agree with it, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on the old Twitter box, twitter.com. I am at off the crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. And I am pretty much on there all day long. Raptors fever has hit much of Canada. But let me tell you, rush fever has absolutely engulfed Saskatoon. Uh, For those of you that aren't reading my daily journal, I was um, on the road this weekend and I did go to Saskatoon. Uh, I have a good friend from a little reality show that I did who lives in Saskatoon, and I promised him that at one point this year that I would go out and watch a game with him, and we would play some golf and have some good times, and pretty much all of those things happened, except um, a unfortunate, fortunate case of events uh, didn't allow me to watch the game with him as I got called in for emergency relief of good friend Casey Guerin, who's unfortunately had a bit of a health turn, and we are hoping that Casey does get better soon. Um, If you've listened to this podcast before, you've up to date on IL Indoor, uh, you will know Casey's story. And unfortunately, uh, Guaranteed uh, called me a couple hours before the game and said, hey man, if you had to do the game, would you be able to? And luckily enough, I was able to. And uh, it was never easy hearing that from a good friend, uh, especially Casey, who's been dealing with so much and had just gotten back into the booth after spending weeks and weeks and weeks in Philadelphia dealing with doctors who still can't really give him an answer. Um, But I was very honored to step into his place and work alongside John Fraser and call that game between Saskatchewan, I don't know why I said it like that, Saskatchewan and Calgary. 
It was another fantastic game, but boy, let me tell you, the atmosphere in that city and in that arena was some of the greatest I've ever seen. And, you know, I've, I've played in a sold-out Memorial Arena here in Victoria. I played in Man Cups in Peterborough at the sold-out Memorial Center there. I played in Buffalo. I played in Colorado. I played in Philadelphia. Like, I've played in all the big rinks that you would want to play a lacrosse game in in front of the biggest crowds with some of the best fans ever. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like I saw in Saskatoon this weekend. Now, granted, I don't often get to, you know, mill about an hour and a half, two hours before a game and see tailgaters and, and see that everything else that's going on, especially when I was playing. But now that I have stopped and I'm spending more time at arenas as a broadcaster, as a reporter, and just as a fan, you know, you get to see how different organizations uh, work with their fans and the different things they do pre-game, post-game, all those things. What I saw in Saskatoon was just remarkable. Um, it started Friday when I got into town and, you know, I started you know, interacting with the locals, as it were, and everybody had rush fever. Everybody I talked to knew who the rush were, knew that they were playing game two of the Western Finals, knew that it was going to be on TV, knew where to watch it, and were still trying to get tickets. It was incredible. Um, Friday night, uh, I was at one of the local watering holes and talking to a bartender, and he said, and this absolutely blew my mind. He said that whenever there was a rush game, his bar would constantly sell more booze and liquor and drinks and food than the previous previous week that the rush played. Every weekend the rush were home, their restaurant, their bar was breaking records. Selling out of booze. Like the amount of people that I saw in that area wearing Rush apparel, um, cabs, buses, billboards, uh, building sides, everything. It was incredible. And for all us naysayers that said early on that, nope, Saskatoon's never going to work. I can't believe the NLL's going there. What are they thinking? I can't believe Urban moved them from Edmonton. Well, it's worked. And it is incredible. I was there 90 minutes before the game, and there was 4,000 people already inside with another 3,000 outside partying, tailgating, hanging out, chanting. Like, it was crazy. And then, like, second warm-up, there was a ton of people that you, you would never expect that many people to be in just to watch warm-ups. But the people were ready to go. And once it was game time and once they turned the lights down and the music went up and they started all the pregame stuff, like the energy just kept on building and building and building. And it was unreal. I hate, I hate when fans do the wave during games. Like it's one of my biggest pet peeves. 
I watched it go around like five times and was just smiling ear to ear. I was trying to call a game, and I, I just couldn't believe it. And, I, you know, I, I kind of mocked the old Matthew McConaughey chest pump gold song dance thing that they do early on. I'm like, eh. Kind of a flash in the pan. Not sure how well this is going to take off. Some people didn't really know what the heck they were doing. By the time I got to that game and by the first goal, everybody was standing up doing that. And here's the thing that makes it work so well. And it's something that Calgary's doing. It's something that Colorado does. And it's something that Buffalo does. And I truly believe it's something that everybody in the National Lacrosse League needs to listen to this fact and point. As much as we all want lacrosse people to come to games, that's great. Remember how we always say you got to start marketing to non-lacrosse people to get them to come because those are the people you need to lure in? Well, start marketing to the people who are going to come and drink and party. It sounds crazy, I know. But the old the, the slogan that uh, the Roughnecks use, and I think Robert Church, when I talked to him the day after the game in the airport, he said that they're using the slogan too of come to the party, stay for the game. It's perfect. Like, I know we're trying to sell lacrosse, and we're going to sell lacrosse. Lacrosse sells itself once the people are in the building. But you have to get them there. So if you're going to tell them that they're going to come and they're going to have a party and there's going to be beers and you can act as wild and crazy as you want and you can dress up and you can be a guy wearing a hula skirt and coconuts for a bra with a horse head and a flashing light and paint yourself. Please come and do all of these things. Because you know what? There are markets that are traditional lacrosse markets. And what do they do? They try and get lacrosse parents and kids in the door. I'm all for that. Of course we need kids inside the arena. But those kids are going to come anyway because they're already playing lacrosse. We have to get the 25 to 45 demographic, male and female, to start going to games and start creating an atmosphere that they will enjoy and have fun in. Loud, raucous, party atmosphere. And you know what? They're going to have fun. And it's going to get crazy. But isn't that what the NLL is all about? Really, when you think about it, the NLL shouldn't be a, yay, they scored, kind of league. That's, that's not what the NLL is. When your home team scores, you should be jumping out of your seat and screaming and high-fiving people eight rows over and jumping over people and spilling your beer because you're so excited. Painting your chest, dyeing your hair, wearing costumes, becoming iconic fans. Look at Chopper, the man in black, uh, the tar pit, Darth Bandit the rigger crew or the hard hat guys in Calgary. Like, heck, even when they were in Washington, the stealth had the red men. You know, like the guys that were wearing the bodysuits. They had those guys. 
Saskatchewan is working because, A, it's not a traditional lacrosse market and that city has been starving for professional sports. SaskTel Arena was originally built because Saskatoon wanted to get the St. Louis Blues. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. They ended up getting the Blades. And WHL hockey hasn't really thrived in Saskatoon. The Blades aren't doing well. But as soon as the word professional sports was added to the lacrosse community and the sports landscape in Saskatoon, boom, it took off. And they finished the year with like three or four sellouts. And Saturday night, they set the record for most fans attending a sporting event in SaskTel Center. Actually, any event in SaskTel Center. 15,192. You want to know how many in comparison were at that game? They outsold Buffalo. Think about that for a minute. There were more fans in Saskatoon than there were in crazy Madhouse Banditland Saturday night. So, it may not be ideal for the National Lacrosse League to continue to go to markets like Saskatoon. However, done right and marketed towards the right people and working strongly in the community and working with bars and pubs and restaurants and and the corporate sector of the city, it can and will succeed. And huge kudos to Lee Genier and his entire staff for everything that they've done in that city because I, from the moment I got off the plane, was impressed just by seeing the buzz already around town. But more importantly, inside the arena, even after the game, like I stuck around for 45 minutes after the game doing things. There was still a ton of people on the floor getting autographs. There were still people on the concourse milling about, talking, high-fiving, you know, relaying stories about the game, talking about the finals. And even more so, people were still buying merchandise. And then you go out to the bars after. I was at a cactus club. And there was people wearing rush gear. Hats, shirts, jerseys. All the bartenders knew about it. A bunch of the restaurants in town had the game on TV. It also helped that a couple of the guys showed up after. But it wasn't like their normal post-game bar. They were just wanting to go somewhere they could get some food. But still, they came and people noticed. People knew who they were. I never thought that would happen in Saskatoon. And I am so glad I was proven wrong. I just verbally spewed a whole bunch of stuff about Saskatoon and that game. And I even talked about the game. And what a game. What a game. You know, I I know Calgary obviously would have loved the outcome to have been different. They would have loved to have come out on the other end of a 12-9 scoreboard. But you know what? They battled. They were in it for pretty much the entire game. It was just that little bit of a push late in that fourth quarter. 
that gave Saskatchewan a little bit of space. You know, they were up three going in and Calgary did everything they could to get back in the game. They just ran out of time. I think the, the turning point in that game was when Zach Greer and Mark Matthews scored eight seconds apart. Uh, it was the fastest two goals in franchise history in, I think, three, two or three years uh, when they scored seven straight. Um, but it was a really well-played game. It was a fairly clean game. Uh, I had one fan tweet at me saying, what game are you watching? These refs are terrible. I didn't think the refs were that bad. Like, it was playoff lacrosse, and the guys let the boys on the field play lacrosse. And that's what I wanted to see. It was either going to be two things. They were either going, either going to call everything, and it was just going to be a slow, drawn-out, penalty-filled affair. Nobody wants to see that. I mean, nobody wants to see the refs be the star of the game. And they weren't. Sure, they missed a few calls. That's going to happen. But there was nothing egregious missed. And they called what needed to be called. It was a playoff atmosphere game. And the guys were going to be playing on edge. And the refs let them just dictate themselves, play as they were, called what needed to be called. And in between, they just let the guys go. And it was awesome. And it was an incredible game. The, po- the moment at the end of the third quarter, I think, was a real telling tale of how well the refs executed um, their officiating of this match. Because that play could have been a massive talking point to this point if things would have gone completely sideways and differently. Um, if you weren't watching... Right at the end of the third quarter, uh, Calgary had pulled Mike Poulin. Jeff Shatler needed to get the ball over center, and they didn't really expect the rush to push up as much as they did. And Shatler had his pass knocked down by Jeff Cornwall just on the defensive side of center for the Roughnecks. Cornwall did an incredible job picking up that loose ball, draws the penalties, Dixon pulled to the ground, flips the ball to Corbeil, and just... Panic and chaos is ensuing, and the fans are screaming, and everything's going wild. Corbeil picks up the ball, fires it into the net, and it's a goal right at the end of the third quarter. The place goes bananas. I mean, bananas. However, Dane Smith might have gone even more. It's not Dane Smith. Dane Doby might have gone even more bananas. And I've seen Dane get fired up about a lot of things. He does it quite often but I had never seen him that irate, and I couldn't understand why. I I didn't know because I didn't see what had happened. And Dane went right over, and he pointed at the the fourth official in the box, pointed at him, pointed at him, and I caught a glimpse of him kind of tapping his chest. I'm like, that was kind of weird. Why did he do that? And then they kind of pushed everybody away. Calmer heads prevailed. The captains came out, and then the, the officiating crew talked about it. They didn't need to go to a replay. They just talked about it. And the fourth official, I guess, I, I, I haven't gone back and watched that part of the game, but you can see the fourth official say, yep, 
I stopped the clock. It was my fault. And with 3.1 seconds left, the clock did stop. And that split second allowed Corbeil enough time to put the ball in the net. But the referees got it right. They talked about it, and they said, you know what? Our mistake. We got it wrong. No goal. Curtis Dixon, you still have a penalty. Quarter over. Let's start the fourth. It was so well done. And fans get on the refs so much for getting things wrong, but rarely do they say, hey, you know what? Great job in getting it right. So I'll say it. Tell the branch and crew, great job in getting it right. But that game from start to finish uh, was just so good. And when these two teams are battling back and forth as they were, it was 1-1 after the first. And my buddy Harrison, who I was supposed to go to the game with, texted me between quarters and he said, that's kind of low scoring, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. It, and I even thought to myself, it might even be the lowest scoring quarter in NLL history. I don't know what that is. But two goals between these two teams <laughs> over 15 minutes of play was just incredible. But you got to give a lot of credit to the goaltenders. Like, Poulin made nine saves in the first and Bold made eight. May not sound like a lot considering how many saves they made out the rest of the game, but it was a bit of a feeling out process in that opening quarter. And then late in the game, Saskatchewan scored four straight to really stretch that game open, only to have Calgary score three straight with the extra attacker in a span of three minutes and two seconds. But as I said, they just ran out of time. And I'm going to get to my, the man of the week a little bit later on, but the man earned his spot on this podcast at the 14-10 mark of that fourth quarter. One of the players that was a key cog in the Saskatchewan Rush defense is a four-time National Lacrosse League Defender of the Year. He's a world champion both indoors and out, and he is arguably one of the best defenders already ever to step foot on an NLL turf. He joins us now on the show. He is Kyle Rubish. Rubes, first time, long time. How are you, buddy? Good, good. How about you? Oh, you know, I can't complain. Living island life, uh, not as fun as Saskatchewan was this weekend. Was it? <laughs> is it nice out there, too? Yeah, it's uh, it's another lovely day out here. But, uh, man, that Saskatoon weather was uh, something different for me. A lot of wind, especially on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's pretty flat out there, right? Absolutely it is. Um, you guys have really gotten accustomed to Saskatchewan life, and that crowd has really gotten behind you guys, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, the fans have been amazing for us. Uh, they've gone behind the team and supported us the whole season, and it's been a really special season to have uh, that type of fan base. Is it, you know, it's, it's obviously a big change from what you guys were experiencing in Edmonton over the past few years, but, you know, how does it change your mentality going into games when you know that you're going to have a loud pack house? Yeah, it, uh, it it pumps you up a little bit extra. You know that uh, behind you and, and it's going to be loud and the atmosphere is going to be exciting. So it, it makes it a little bit easier to get up for those games and it gives you that extra that extra boost that you need uh, to play in front of a fan base like that. 
we were talking after the game and, and we were just talking about the amount of people that were there, you know, well before the game even started and, you know, how first warm you guys were, were playing in front of big crowds already. But it, it just kind of has to make coming to the rink a lot more enjoyable every time you see that, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. When you see the fans already pouring in, when when you're getting to the rink, it's it, it means a lot and it, it's something special when, when they have uh, that backing for you and, you don't want to let them down, and you want to put a good product on the floor and, and not disappoint them. Let's talk about the game against Calgary because it's been a, a rivalry between you two that has been going on for decades, and, and you've only been a part of it for the last four or five years since coming over from Boston. But, you know, what is it about when the rush and the roughnecks play that just makes it for such great lacrosse? Yeah, I think it's just two uh, really good teams that have seen a lot from – of each other in the past uh, four or five years, like you said, uh, we match up pretty even. They they're a talented team. They got a great offense, great defense, great goaltending. They're a total package. And when you play each other six times uh, over the course of a season, mm-hmm. um, it just builds that rivalry. And and every game seems like it's a war out there. How important is sort of the the coaching chess match between Keenan and Malosky of trying to figure out little little changes that teams can make? To, to give you guys that competitive advantage. Yeah, that's huge. You got two of the best coaches in the league, and and they see they see each other so much that I'm I'm sure they're making little changes throughout against each other just to try to get that advantage. But like I said, like the games are always so close and the teams are so evenly matched that uh, any little thing can be the deciding factor in uh, in a game like that. Uh, late in the game, Calgary scored three with the extra man to to make it a bit of a closer game. Were were there some nervous moments on that bench? Um, not really. We we had some breakdowns and 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 when you don't when you don't have uh, when you're not on the same page for for hectic plays like that, then with their offense, uh, they can put the ball in the net so easily. So we kind of just uh, got organized and and got our game back in. They got those three quick ones to make it a bit of a game, but uh, we settled in and, and found our way. Did you notice the clock the clock stopping on that play at the end of the third quarter? I did not. I was on the floor and uh, I was behind Jeff Cornwall when he intercepted or knocked down the pass, and then I was running up trying to trying to get up with Corbs, and yeah. and then I saw him just shoot the ball in the net, and so I was on the floor running up. I didn't see the the time stop. So, yeah, that was a bit of a confusing moment. <laughs> Indeed it was. Um, but one of the keys for you guys was limiting the opportunities for Dixon. You only had a goal and two assists, and, and it was important for you guys to limit his opportunities. Now that you're going to the finals and you're going to go and take on Dane Smith, does the the idea of shutting him down kind of mirror what you guys were doing, Dixon, or is it going to be, you know, let's just let Dane do his thing and worry about the other four guys? Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing. When you have a player like Dixon or Dane Smith, they're they're both equally dangerous. They're both great players. Um, you, you know they're going to do their thing. They're going to be be dangerous. You're going to have to give them a little bit extra attention. But their whole offense is is highly skilled. So mm-hmm. you got to lock down the whole team and uh, just kind of play your game, stick to your game plan, and and go out there and hope for the best. As a defender, you never like to see guys scoring you, but do you sometimes have to sit back and just marvel at what Dane Smith has been doing offensively this year? Yeah, definitely. He's He's been breaking records, and 
I got to play with him in the world this past uh, summer, and he's a great player, and there's no doubt about that. But um, it's going to take a total team effort to try to slow him down, and and uh, it's going to be a great battle. A lot of that team effort starts uh, between the pipes with Aaron Bolden, and a lot of people kind of wrote Boldy off this year, saying he wasn't have a having a great year, and and it was going to be maybe a downfall for the rush. But he's really stepped up his game in the last month and a half. How important is is it for you guys to have Boldy rolling? Yeah, definitely. Boldy's been playing great for us. Uh, just his his focus and determination. Uh, you, you can just you just know he's going to be solid back there for you. Uh, when you're playing on a defense with him behind you, you feel good, and he's been great for us, and he's been playing great for us for some time now. Uh, one of the big matchups that, that I'll keep an eye on, it was a, a big part of the Calgary-Saskatchewan uh, series is at the face-off thought, Jay Thornbear and Jeremy Thompson is going to be an incredible matchup. But when you're on that ball team, uh, what are you looking for? Are you and Jeremy in, in contact of where he wants to put the ball, or what are you looking for as uh, one of the other guys in the book? Yeah, definitely. Every game kind of changes with the game plan. But, yeah, you talk to Jeremy and see what he's, he wants to do, and he kind of lets you know where he wants you or or where he's going to try to put the ball or where he wants to try to pass it to you. But, mm-hmm. yeah, Jeremy's so skilled, you kind of just – uh, listen to him on the face-offs and try to get get an open space for her, him, or try to try to get to to the ball where he's putting it. But yeah, like you said, with Jay Thornbear and and Jeremy, they're two of the best in the league, so that should be a great uh, matchup to watch. It was a, a heck of a game when, you, when these two teams played early in the year, the 1918 thriller in overtime where Mitch Jones scored the winner. Uh, it was only one meeting, not like the five or six times you played Calgary uh, throughout the year. But what do you learn from that one time you played Buffalo in the season? Yeah, we learned that obviously they're a great team. They uh they had the first overall record and we know they have a potent offense and a skilled defense, great goaltending and and in that game they really pushed the ball on us uh, in transition. So, we know that we have to be on our A game to to play with them and uh we got to come prepared and and be ready for them. Do you ever think you're going to give up a grasp on your defensive player of the year award? Uh, yeah, <laughs> this year there's so many great defenders. Like if you look at Buffalo, just off the top of my head, you got Steve Priolo, who I got to play with this past summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Dilks has had an amazing year. He's He's been one of the most underrated players the past uh, three years, I'd say, and now he's finally getting some uh, accolades for his skill. You got Chris Corbeil, who, who's, who's a great player, obviously, and, and a great captain for us. So mm-hmm. I don't try to focus too much on the individual accolades, but uh, – if if going into the championship weekend and if we can accomplish something special here as a team, that would be amazing. Uh, it's your third trip to the finals as a member of the Rush. Uh, what's been the success for the team, or what's been the key to keep you guys so successful and, and, and consistent? I think it's just sticking to our game plan, playing the way we want. Uh, we're a pretty deep team. We have a great offense, great defense, great goaltending. It's, it's kind of just playing our game and, and sticking to the way the rush play and and when we do that and and, and stay balanced we uh we find to be uh, pretty successful it, a lot of credit has to be given to Derek Keenan though to to keep this team together and you guys only made it made two changes from last year's championship team you know you got Curtis Knight back and then you bring in Dan Taylor so a lot of credit has to be given to Jammer for the ability to keep everybody together yeah definitely Derek's done obviously an amazing job not only as coach but GM um, you see the moves and, and, and the type of things he's done as a GM, but day to day, he's been one of the best coaches I've ever had. Um, you could, you could go on and on, but yeah, he's, 
he's been special and he's uh, really made a championship contender with this team. Um, just a, a kind of an evolutionary thing of coaches as, you know, we, the talk of expansion comes around and everyone's going to be wondering, you know, who's going to be coaching these new teams. Um, the evolution of Jimmy Quinlan as a defensive coach has been something to watch. How is, how is he controlling that back end? Yeah, Jimmy's been an amazing coach for us the past few seasons. Uh, he kind of took what his leadership and in, in, in direction from a player and kind of brought that to the bench. Um, he's so vocal and he gets his point across so well, and um, you can just you, you just know he's always on top of things. So yeah, Jimmy's been been an amazing defensive coach for us. Um, he, like I said, he he kind of took his leadership as as the rush captain and presented that on the bench, and it's been nothing but great uh, uh, working under him. He was always chirping when he was a player. Does he still do that as a coach? Um, he definitely did a lot of it as a player. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, um, he does not as much on the bench. A little yeah. times uh, he, he can get fired up, but uh, Jimmy's always in control, and uh, um, on the bench he, he knows when to – when to get talking and when not to. So he's always seems to be in control and, and is always focused on, on the next play rather than um, <laughs> chirping like you might have as a player. Yeah. Um, so we head into a, a big game one in Buffalo. What are you looking forward to the most uh, heading into the Champions Cup final? Just starting it, basically. It's going yeah. to be it's gonna be two great teams going at it and – just itching to to get started and and hopefully do something special. So yeah, just to to get going and kind of waiting uh, this whole week until you can finally get on the floor. It's uh, it's it's definitely a process, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, before we let you go, um, you've mentioned a couple of times your experience with Team Canada this year and, and winning the worlds. What's it been like representing your country both indoor and outdoor? Oh, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, anytime you can just put on the Canadian Maple Leaf and, and play for your country, uh, let alone winning championships for them. It, it's something special. Um, it's been one of the greatest experiences in my life, getting to play for Team Canada and, and winning uh, world championships with them. So, yeah, it, it's something special and something I'll never forget. Um, are you uh, on the Raptors bandwagon? I am. I am. I was I was getting a little nervous uh, after they got smoked in the first two games, and I was yeah. starting to maybe hop off the bandwagon. But the last two games were uh, were awesome to watch, and I was watching the game last night, and uh, they got me back on for sure. And and I'm going to be rooting for them the rest of the way. Well, maybe they'll hop on the uh, rush bandwagon as well. Uh, Rubes, it was great talking as always. Good seeing you in Saskatoon this weekend. Uh, best of luck on Saturday night and going forward, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. There he is, Kyle Rubish, defender for the Saskatchewan Rush, and you heard him first. You know, you might want to start polishing up that Defensive Player of the Year trophy and get ready to hand it off because it could be the first time in a long time that he is not named the best defender in the NLL, although he really is still one of the best. Just a couple guys who might have had better years than him this year. And for my money, Ryan Dilks is the guy. But there are some others who will garner attention. Kyle Rubish mentioned a few of them. So we'll have to wait and see who comes away with all the hardware in September when the winners are announced. Uh, Speaking of hardware, over on Inside Lacrosse, all of us so-called quote-unquote experts 
um, have submitted our votes, and the tabulations are in, and we are slowly announcing our NLL award winners, and the first one came out on Tuesday, and that was for General Manager of the Year, and it was awarded to Rich Lisk of the New England Black Wolves. Uh, Lisk was instrumental in bringing in Evans and Crowley and Suddens and Hoare and Hall and then also signing Clark and Veltman on as coaches and did a really good job orchestrating that team and pulling the strings as the puppet master to create a very worthy NLL East contender. And if they can fill some holes, go back and tinker a few things, I think they'll have another successful year in 2017. So congratulations to Mr. Rich Lisk, who is the 2016 IL Indoor. I still call it IL Indoor. Uh, IL Indoor Inside Lacrosse National Lacrosse League GM of the Year. More awards to follow in the coming days as we lead up to the NLL Finals. The other team that is going to be playing in that Finals, because you kind of have to have two teams, you can't just have one, will be the high-powered, high-flying Buffalo Bandits. And boy, are they on some sort of a streak. They are playing some of the best lacrosse right now. And as I said in my 30-second shot clock column last week, and I've said it a few times this week uh, in different areas, that I, I truly believe that Saskatchewan and Buffalo are just on another level of the other seven teams in this league. I mentioned that to Kurt Miloski, kind of agreed. And it wasn't, you know, a shot at his team because his team put out a valiant effort. They just didn't have the horses to compete with Saskatoon. I don't know why I keep calling him Saskatoon. Saskatchewan. And New England is a great team. They just were unable to match the Bandits across the board. It was evident in just how much better Buffalo was in that series. Not only just in outscoring them 35-25 in goals, but just the body of work that Buffalo did in those games from cause all the way out to the front end where Dane Smith rules the world. It was just a well orchestrated game plan by Buffalo. Score early and often. Well, they scored 11 seconds in, so that starts. They scored 20. That helps. Um, get key contributions from your stars. Dane Smith uh, had eight points. That's always a bonus. Ryan Banesh had seven. Mark Stinos had five. There you go. More importantly, get secondary scoring from other people. Anthony Malcolm had three. Alex Keto Hill had seven. Jones had three. Culp had four. And when you're getting all those other guys contributing, then you can't just focus on Dane. Because everybody else is capable of hurting you. And I talked about this in my article last week. 
about how the game plan for the Buffalo defense was to limit the touches of Evans, Hall, and Crowley. They did that in game one. You know, in game two, they didn't do as well in shutting down Evans. He had seven points, but only had two goals. Kevin Crowley had two goals. Jordan Hall had no goals and five assists. So, again, four goals between the big three is huge because then you have to make everybody else beat you. And Kevin Buchanan tried his darndest by scoring six. But their other goals came from Derek Suddens, Stephen Hoare, Sheldon Burns. They got no goals from Kyle Buchanan, no goals from Jordan Hall, nothing from Bucktooth in transition, two from Saunders. So you did everything your coaches asked for and you were rewarded. Even going down a man late in that first quarter as David Brock was ejected for um, an instigator and when he tried to fight Mike McNamara, and he kind of did. So they were down a man, and yet they still controlled that game. You know, they were down in the first. They didn't panic. Remember what happened in game one? They were down early in game one. Three quick ones. But were able to come back and take the lead. So they were down in after the first period in game two. But then they outscored them 17-10 to 10 over the final 45 minutes. Like, 17 goals in three quarters. 17 goals is more than most teams score in a game. And they got that in three quarters of play. And Buffalo just has this other gear, and which makes watching them in Saskatchewan play in the final makes me giddy. Because Saskatchewan has that other gear. Remember when these two teams played earlier on in the year? What happened? It was one of the best games we saw all year in a 1918 OT thriller. Mitch Jones, I think he had five, including the game winner in overtime. It was the only time they met all year. But if this series, a true best two of three, is going to be anything like that first game, we are in for an absolute treat. Just over 14,000 were in Buffalo, which is still like ridiculously good. I have a feeling there's going to be more there Saturday night. I just kind of have a feeling there's going to be a few more people in orange there Saturday night. There might be a few people in electric green, but there's going to be a lot of orange. A lot of orange. Uh, you can watch that game on TSN 2 as well as ESPN3. So everybody will be able to get a chance to watch. And everybody is going to be treated to some incredible lacrosse. I'm going to be interested to watch how Saskatchewan and Derek Keenan game plan around defending Dane Smith because they did a really good job limiting the opportunities of Curtis Dixon in Game 2. But stopping Dane Smith is a completely different animal. Um, 
only once has he really been shut down. And that was the game against uh, a game against Toronto late in the year. So it can be done, but it's a pretty tough task. And it's going to be a lot of Chris Corbeil, a lot of Jeff Cornwall, John Lintz. Delt Rubish will get to that side of the floor much. He's on the other side. But there's going to be a lot of bodies who are going to be given assignments to watch Dane Smith. I really like the matchup. I think Stamper said this um, in sort of his weekend review. Uh, the prospects of watching Jeff Cornwall and Dane Smith, two of the most freakishly athletic guys in the NLL going one-on-one. But you can't just D up Dane one-on-one because he's too good. So that's the tricky slide package that Saskatchewan throws at teams will come into play. Uh, Derek Keenan's probably got some tricks up his sleeve. But I know there's that guy on the Buffalo Bandits bench who is pretty good at scoring goals. Um, He probably has some tricks up his sleeves too, and that's John Tavares. But I really like the, the coaching battle that we're going to see in this final series. Troy Cordingly, Derek Keenan, former teammates with the Buffalo Bandits, uh, now coaching against each other in two of the smartest lacrosse minds out there. And it will be a chess match between the two. Uh, there'll probably be some gamesmanship. But it just lends itself to great lacrosse. And it all gets going Saturday night with Game 1 of the NLL Champions Cup Final. We talked to and heard from Kyle Rubish. It is now time to go to the other side and talk to the Buffalo Bandits defensive beast. We had Billy D. Smith on last week, so we're going to go a little bit further down the roster. And uh, 10 numbers, give or take. David Brock, he is one of my favorite players to watch, and he has really kind of um, taken his game to another level this year. He's had a bit of a career year uh, numbers-wise, but more importantly, he has earned the respect of his teammates and the organization. They gave him an assistant captain this year, and he has been just so good to watch. And you can just see the evolution of his game over the past few years um, from going to sort of a forward transition type guy to really a D first transition player. And it's just so good to watch and so good to see. You know, it's the evolution of players. We've talked about this a lot. You know, Dane Smith started as a D tranny guy. Now he's the best offensive player in the National Lacrosse League right now. And other guys have to find that role and find a spot where they fit. And Brock has done an excellent job in doing that. He's evolved his game to be a heavy hitting stay at home D guy that runs the floor like a gazelle and has been known to put the ball in the net a few times. It's 15 points this year. It's a career high. Still waiting for his first playoff goal. That can come in an instinct. Nonetheless, he joins us now on the Off the Crossbar podcast, all the way from his home in Ontario. D. Brock, how are you, friend? Good, man. How are you? I'm very well. How's things? Things are great, man. Things are great. Weather's nice. You know, you summer's, summer's right around the corner, and team's doing well, so things are good. Today, I, uh, I'm i actually back home in Burlington. I live in Buffalo. I'm back home in Burlington. Yeah. I, 
did some shopping, uh, cleaned up my place a little bit, and oh, uh, you go? got got yeah, a busy, productive day. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, a little spring cleaning. I haven't been around in a while, so I had some stuff that needed to uh, to be done. So, um, you, you mentioned you're living in in Buffalo. You're living there with Loeffler. Yeah, me and Scott. Uh, me and How's Scott that are living together. It's going well. It's going really well. He's a good friend of mine and uh, treats me uh, treats me really well. So it's uh, we got a good relationship, Scott and I. So it's going really yeah. well. Um, how many other guys are living in Buffalo this year? Uh, well, there's me uh, in our building. There's me, Mitch Jones, Anthony Malcolm, Adam Will, Nick Weiss, Dane nice. Smith. And then Ryan Banesh was living in in Buffalo with his girlfriend, just uh, mm. just around the corner. But he uh, he recently moved back to Kitchener to start to start his his job um, yeah. at the at the city of Kitchener. It's obviously good to be in Buffalo, and you guys can get out in the community. But how, how's the the city treating you guys? Obviously, the bandits are a big deal in Buffalo, especially now. But uh, you guys getting recognized and, and getting treated properly down there? Yes, we are absolutely. We. Uh, we were actually at the mall, uh, the, the, the Walden Galleria Mall, which is a big mall in Buffalo last week. And uh, I was with Dane, and of course, Dane's a pretty, you know, pretty big uh, yeah. sports figure in, in the city of Buffalo. Um, and we must have had six or seven people stop us and say, you know, hey guys, can we get a picture? You know, good luck this weekend. And so they're all over. People know what's going on, and uh, yeah. yeah, we're certainly, uh, you know, and, and it makes us feel uh, feel special too, right? So we uh, we enjoy that. It's a bit of a different atmosphere walking around a city and an and LL city compared to a Canadian summer league city, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It sure is. It sure is. Uh, it was uh, a, a heck of a series between you guys and the Black Wolves. And, you know, some people were hoping it would go to the mini game, but you guys were able to find that extra gear uh, very much like what Saskatoon did with or Saskatchewan did with Calgary. What was the secret for you guys to having success against a very good and formidable New England team? Uh, I think big thing for us was just uh, you know staying composed, sticking to our game plan. Uh, we got down early in, in game one, uh, but we didn't start going going crazy or going bonkers mm-hmm. or yelling and screaming. We we just uh, stuck to the game plan, um, stayed positive. And and that game worked out in our favor. And of course, the same thing for game two. You know, it was back and forth all night. But we 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 believe in our system. We're confident in our system. We believe in what our coaches are telling us, and mm-hmm. uh, we just stick to stick to that. Keep it simple, and, and do what we we've been doing all year. And we were fortunate to to to, to you know pull out. Do you really turn it up a notch in in the fourth quarter? And I I credit that to you know our practices. We practice um, every Tuesday. And that's really the hardest part of the season is, is we've always had an emphasis on really working hard at practice. And uh, you can see it pay off in, in the fourth quarter because I, I think if you look at the numbers, we've had a pretty good uh, fourth quarter all, all season long. The Tuesday night practice is, is a benefit for a lot of teams because you're not having to you know expel a lot of energy the night before games. So how much do you think that pays into uh, your guys' success being able to practice midweek instead of you know Friday nights the night before games? Yeah, I think it's I think it's great uh, to be able to to have that um, you know on our side, and we're certainly fortunate we're you know playing for Buffalo where everyone is, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat local. Um, it's great. It it allows us to be together throughout the week, you know, and we we really enjoy that time together. The whole team, we're close knit group, so you know we get to spend that Tuesday night together and and um, of course have some have some laughs, have some fun, but also 
work hard for for a couple hours watching film uh and it's not quite as rushed as it would be on a on a friday night you know yeah. everyone flying into town and um you know delayed flights and just it's i remember doing that with with boston and philly and it just seemed yeah. like everything was always so rushed and he didn't really get to enjoy the moment as much it was it was more of a chore whereas tuesday nights i know we we really look forward to to every tuesday night as a former philly guy is it you know kind of nice to see that organization now they're in new england having some success yeah absolutely yeah. mike french uh of course, one of the uh, owners of the the organization, the franchise. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he treated me very well when I was there, and um, so it's good to see him getting, uh, you know, rewarded with with some success and some wins. So I, I do, uh, you know, I'll always be a little bit of a soft spot for uh, for that organization. Absolutely. What were those boards like in New England? Like I haven't been there, and you obviously had some experience, you know, playing in that arena in the last couple of years, but. Um... You know, a couple of weeks ago, Reza Terrace got put through the boards on on a on a routine kind of body check. Are there any concerns with those boards? Or is that just a freak thing? You think? Uh, I think it's just a freak thing. I, I mean, the the glad the only thing I really notice is that they don't have as much, uh, you know, as much oomph for lack of mm-hmm. a better word. When you when the ball hits the board, it kind of dies. It dies, yeah. Back quite as much, and the glass is very low. I noticed a lot of times. Um, you know, when the ball would be up uh, at the upper portion of the glass, you know, that you find in any NHL or NLL venue, um, mm-hmm. it would stay in play. Whereas in New England, it was it was the glass is so short that it would right. that it would be out of play. But I I, I don't see uh, I I personally I enjoy playing there. It's a tough barn to play in, no doubt. Yeah. But um, it's a nice floor. It's a nice facility. Uh, so I I do like playing there. But uh, yeah, I think the Resiteris thing. I didn't see it, but I, I yeah. think it was just a one off. You know, the boys, some big, some pretty big boys out there yeah. moving at a pretty. Uh, and if if there's anyone uh, in the league that's going to end up going through a set of boards, it doesn't surprise me that's Joe Resiteris. <laughs> yeah, to absolutely. be honest. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people really like playing in, in Buffalo as well. Whether you're an opponent or, or a bandit, that atmosphere just gets better and better every game. And and as you guys are getting closer and closer to the championships, that atmosphere just gets even better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you see the attendance every home game. You, you know, a couple more thousand in the building to the point where we sold out uh, our April thirtieth game against New mm-hmm. England. And of course, you know, I think historically in this league, uh, attendance isn't quite as high in playoffs. But um, you know, the other night we had I think fifteen thousand there, and they were as loud as ever. Um, sounded like a sellout. Um, so we're hopefully uh, we you know we get. Um, we could fill the place as best we can uh, for the next uh, Saturday night. You've kind of made yourself a bit of a fan hero with your play in Buffalo. What do you think has been the biggest change in your game over the last few years? I I think a big part of my game has, I've I've sort of, uh, you know, I've aged a little bit, so I've slowed down, I think physically, but mentally I feel a lot sharper. Uh, You know, the old adage, work smarter not harder and i really mm-hmm. have bought into that positioning um you know pushing it when there's an opportunity and, and sitting back when there's not and uh you know i i think while well, i came into the league as a transition player more of an you know an offensive defenseman um but with our our transition team you know the mitch wilds kevin Bernal, alex mm-hmm. keto hill mitch jones you know the list goes on and on and on um i've, I've been able to take sort of a back seat and focus more on um you know the defensive side of the ball 
And then, uh, of course, I had a pretty good number or a pretty good year uh, statistically, too. So it's uh, mm-hmm. making the most of my opportunities when they're there. Uh, again, just working smarter and not so much working harder. Um, are, do you believe in culpamania? I absolutely do. I believe in culpamania. <laughs> I love it, man. That's that. Uh, I, I know Hinda believes in it, too. And uh, <laughs> yeah, she does. it's great. Chad, Chad deserves, uh, you know. Chad deserves what he, you know, the success he's had the last couple nights, and he's a great, mm-hmm. great guy, great guy in the locker room, and what a tough little sob that guy is, man. I'm glad to glad to have him on my side. You guys did a, a fantastic job of limiting the opportunities for Sean Evans, but you also got him frustrated. What was the key to getting him off his game? Um, yeah, I, I think you just got to with Sean. You got to you got to be all over him. You give him an inch, he's going to take you a mile. Um, you know, he's one of he's, you know, arguably the most talented guy in the league. Um, so you, you know, our lefties, our lefty D guys did a nice job of being all over him, but they weren't, Mm -hmm. uh, they were doing it in a clean fashion. They were, they were all over him. Um, but they weren't, you know, taking cheap shots or or trying to hurt Sean or anything like that. They're just good, hard physical defense. And I know that, uh, if you, if you take away his time and space, he's going to get, uh, he's going to get frustrated. Yeah, obviously tensions boiled over a little bit, but that just comes with the territory of playing playoff series against teams that you're very familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a competitive guy, so he, you know it's uh, you can expect that out of him. So now you guys have to take on the rush, and you played them once this year, and it was that classic 1918 overtime thriller in the tune, and everybody just was marveling at just the pace of that game. Do you expect that series? in this series to be that way, fast-paced transition and, and high scoring? Yeah, I do. I, I expect it to be similar to the game we played with them uh, out there when we, when we won in overtime. Um, you know, they're obviously uh, – I have a lot of respect for that team. Um, very talented team on either side of the ball. Coach Keenan is, you know – I've never had him coach me personally, but, mm-hmm. you know, what a fantastic coach. Uh, you know, and of course we're we're playing well right now, and we have a fast-paced team with a high mm-hmm. potent offense and uh, a defense that uh, you know a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde at the points. But uh, we, uh, you know, I expect it to be a high uh, high-scoring series and a fast-paced series with uh, you know it's it's it should, should certainly be uh, an entertaining series. Do you think there's one key for you guys to have success? Uh no, I, I think I think we just need to continue doing what we're doing and, and believing in our system again and believing in in our coaches and um everybody really working uh you know, working hard, you know, working hard and of course working smart for the for the full sixty minutes. Um but one thing in particular that stands out, not no, we need it's a you know, there's sixteen guys on the floor and yeah and, and Causey and we need we all need to be we all need to bring our bring our A game and, and come prepared and ready to ready to uh to play and and you know there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows throughout the series um just as there is in any any game yeah. or any playoff series so we need to stay even keel stay composed and, and stick to stick to what we know causes had himself a fantastic year but there's been moments when you guys have had to land uh your hopes on the big fish and, and that's got to give you guys some confidence knowing that derusio is back there and you have two capable goaltenders yeah yeah absolutely um uh, I think you know, cause arguably is is our MVP, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a uh, great locker room presence, good friend of mine, great, you know, great guy, great teammate, um, and he's been like I said, arguably our MVP. Um, 
but it's nice, you know, having uh, Davey in, uh, you know, waiting on the bench. And I know he's chomping at the bit to get out there because he's, he's a warrior and a competitor yeah. too. And uh, what a, you know, what a fantastic goal he is as well. Um, so I know he's waiting patiently and uh, he loves cause and I know he's waiting for his, his turn, but uh, right now he accepts his role and, uh, Absolutely. you know, the future is certainly bright uh, in the, for the, for the goaltending. Obviously, um, John Tavares works heavily with the offensive guys, but as a D guy, what do you notice uh, about the way that offensive runs with JT running it? I I think it's just a lot more um, methodical. And I don't not necessarily X's and O's, but just more. Um, they're I find they're a lot more patient. Yeah. Uh, we take our time a lot more, and we don't. You know, we we they're not rushing things like they have in the past and they, uh, the whole idea is for everybody to get a touch or two before we start to attack and mm-hmm. um jt has done a great job obviously it's you know what jt tells you you're gonna listen so he's <laughs> yeah. a great job of uh of doing that and he's he's fantastic you know i i don't see a lot of jt playing defense but there's been times he's pulled me aside and offered me you know little suggestions as a as a defenseman or as mm-hmm. a, one of the captains of the team so he uh he certainly looks out for for everybody how have you accepted that role of being an assistant captain? Because uh, it's obviously a great honor to be bestowed upon you by your teammates and the organization. Uh, but what did it mean to you? Yeah, you know, it is it is a real honor um, to play, you know, captain of a franchise like that with, with teammates like the teammates I have. It's, a, it's an honor, a privilege. To me, you know, it just means that uh, I have to keep doing what uh, what, I, what I've been doing, what, made, what has made me successful try not to change um, my attitude or my, my style of play or uh, how I am around guys because mm-hmm. I feel like the, who I am is what earned me a, a letter in the first. So I don't want to change that too much. Um, at first, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, a nervous experience the first game, you know, talking to the referees. And I've always yeah. enjoyed talking to the referees, but now yeah. it's, a, it's certainly a, um, you know, it's a little bit more responsibility but again, it's it's a it's a it's a privilege, and uh, you know I'm proud to proud to not only be you know be a Buffalo Bandit, but also be uh, uh, you know one of the a member of the leadership group of the Bandits. Heading into Saturday night game, what do you think the message is from head coach Troy Cordingley for you guys? I uh, I think he's going to talk a lot about um, you know how we've how we've earned it, how we've earned this right, mm-hmm. how you know it's. Uh, you know, I think he's going to point out we we do have some more veteran guys on the team that have mm-hmm. been around a long time and and aren't getting you know any younger and myself included. Our days are you know our days aren't uh, you know we can't do this forever unfortunately. Yeah. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna maybe point that out and then you know um, just you know an emphasis on staying positive and, and sticking to what uh, to what we know. Couple things before I let you go. Uh, you predicted the Cavs over the Raptors. Are you still confident in that pick? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, um, you know what? After the last two nights, <laughs> gee, I don't know, Teddy. <laughs> what uh, the Raptors at home? You know, unfortunately, they 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 uh, only have three of the seven at home. Yeah. I'd like to think that they're gonna, you know, they could win them all at home. But uh, playing at Quicken Loans is a is a tough tough building. But uh, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh Cavs in uh Cavs in seven. Cavs in seven. And what's what is it about Louis Scola that makes you such a big fan? 
<laughs> well, you're following the Twitter pretty close. Hey, you know, yeah, yeah, I gotta do some research, man. I gotta do some due diligence, research Good for you. some other things. Uh, you know, it's funny, um, Louis Scola. I don't know what to the name just rolls off, rolls out of the mouth. So <laughs> he's, tongue, I yeah. watched him. Uh, I watched him in the uh, this past summer. I guess it was. I don't know what they call that. The, the FIBA, FIBA basketball. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I watched him, and, and uh, Argentina had a great team, and mm-hmm. of course he was one of the leaders of the team. And then shortly after that tournament. Uh, they picked Louis Skoll. The Raptors picked him up or traded for him, or however they acquired him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan Benesh and myself and Adam Will, we play a lot of basketball um, for, for conditioning throughout the week. And I always, yeah. you know, how you're, you, you, you kind of try to imitate a player while it's hockey <laughs> yeah. basketball across. I always refer to myself as Louis Skoll. <laughs> and Benny, <laughs> Benny got a good kick out of it. So uh, it was something I rolled with. Um, finally, uh, uh, obviously sad news coming out to the Canadian music world with, uh, the news of Gord Downey and, and cancer. Do you have a favorite, uh, concert, uh, hip song or a Gord Downey moment? You know, I, I've, I, I love the hip, never seen them live. Uh, terrible news about Gord. It's yeah. Really sad. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, what song I like, I know it's, you know, the, the, the Orangeville boys are big, Rusty Kruger, Brandon Miller. They love their yeah. tragically hip. Um, I like the uh, Wheat Kings. That's one of yeah. my favorites. A little bit Absolutely. on the slower side, but uh, it's a nice, relaxing song, and it's good, good sing-along song. Probably my uh, my favorite uh, hip uh, moment. It's a good road trip song, too, and you're going to have to uh, hit the road and get to practice, my friend. Uh, I appreciate you giving us some time today. Best of luck uh, on this weekend. Uh, it's been a long time coming for you, and congratulations on all your success. Thank you very much, Teddy. Take care. There he is. David Brock of the Buffalo Bandits. And as much as I'm excited to see the two offenses go back and forth, when you have a clash of Titans like this, you just really never know what to expect. Like, I'd love to see this series go the full three games, everything be like a 1918 high scoring classic. And at the end, just everybody is just completely spent. And maybe even game three, we got to go a little bit further and have a little bit overtime. Like, that's how close these two teams are in the grand scheme of things. Cause and bold and net, fantastic battle. Like, we've been so used to some of the other great goaltending battles that we've had in past championships. I think cause and boldy head to head. Could be one of the best we've seen in a long, long time. Then you match the two defenses up against each other. Where do you give the edge? Maybe to Saskatchewan. Could be a little bit more athletic defensively. Um, Not as big and heavy. More pounding, knock you down, get up the floor. The transition games for both teams are absolutely phenomenal. Like, look at the guys in transition on both sides of the ball. Cornwall, Billich, Sorchetti, Jones, Brownell, DeSnew, Thornber. Like, it's incredible. And then the offenses. Dane Smith, Veltman. Benesh, Culp, AK-66, Anthony Malcolm's coming into his own, Matthews, Greer, Lowen, McIntosh. 
church. Like, these are all-star teams. And they're playing in the Champions Cup final. Truly. Like, it would have been awesome if it would have been like uh, Colorado, New England, or Georgia, or Calgary in the finals. I'd have been great with any of those four teams being in it. But at the end of the day, you want to see the best teams competing for the Cup. And this year, it was the Saskatchewan Rush and Buffalo Bandits. No doubt about it. And it's going to be played in front of 15,000 probably plus in Buffalo, 15 plus in Saskatchewan. It's going to be played in front of national TV audiences in Canada. At least game one is. I'm pretty sure game two will be, but that hasn't been announced yet. And it's just going to be an incredible culmination of what has been one of the best NLL seasons in recent memory. Look at all the things we've gone through. Aside of Dane's record-breaking year. You know, look at the year Callum Crawford had. Uh, The return of Tyler Richards. Um, The Rock going, just depleting their roster after injury after injury after injury. The crazy comebacks we've had with, you know, Calgary up six and then losing a heartbreaker in overtime. Vancouver up a bunch and then losing heartbreakers. It's happened all across the league, week in and week out. The surprise rise of the Swarm. The Wolves setting franchise records, retiring franchise records, going from 4-14 and to 14-4. and You know, it's just... It has been a fantastic professional lacrosse season. <laughs> and if you're Commissioner Nick Sakavich, you're like, wow, is it like this every year? Fortunately, it's not. But it could be. And the way things are going, we're not getting a new team next year. So we're going to be staying with these nine teams. And if these teams can keep the cohesive units together, then why not look forward to another year like we had this year? And just think, I mentioned this with Rubes earlier. The Rush only made two roster changes. Two. They got Curtis Knight back from injury and put Marty Dinsdale on the practice roster. And they drafted Dan Taylor, and he kind of worked his way in, and now is a regular, as a rookie. Like, if you're the defending champs, and you only make two roster moves, and you actually probably get better, that's just awesome. Right? And now other teams have to try and keep up, because... Buffalo was a damn good lacrosse team, and they are going to push Saskatchewan to the limit and vice versa. But if the Rush can win this and win back-to-back, who says they can't pull the triple? Or more? That's looking pretty far ahead in the crystal ball, but 
If they win two, why can't they win three? Why can't they do what Rochester did? Because the way Keenan has built this club, they're in prime position to do so. Everybody's bought in. You know, I know they would probably love to have more guys living in the Saskatoon area. Only Billich is living there. But if they can get a few more guys living there and create a true grassroots program in Saskatoon, working with the SWAT who are there and their junior programs and their minor programs because their minor numbers are way up. The future is just incredible for that Rush organization. But I think the future is really bright for a lot of teams. Like, I don't know what Calgary does next year in goal. Uh, Mike Poulin was talking with uh, Ryan Balancing after the game, and he basically said, I, I don't know what my plans are next year. I don't know if Calgary brings me back or not. You know, it could be foreshadowing. Um, you know, Frankie Chiliano's there. They have Christian Del Bianco waiting in the wings. So if they, you know, they want to make some cap room, if you want to call it that, then maybe sending Pool in East is an idea. And, you know, there's teams that'll want a goalie of the caliber of Mike Poulin. And I can totally see him reuniting with Nick Rose in Toronto if Brandon Miller decides to hang him up. You know, if I'm Georgia, I'm probably knocking on that door. Nothing against Brody McDonald. He's a great goaltender, but I'm not sure they're sold on Higgins because I'm not. You know, Vancouver had a a really tough year. But if they can keep Batley and they can fill some holes, they can be dangerous. Colorado's got to be scratching the head, but that team's built for a few more years. You know, everybody will be in contention again next year. But now, well, in three weeks, once the season eventually gets over, it'll be on the GMs to start to get to work. And there's one guy out there that has a lot to prove that I think after what he did last weekend will garner some looks from a few NLL teams when all of them never gave him a shot this year. We're going to get to that in a minute. But first, we have to tell you who the heck's the man this week, who it is, who it is. The man this week? earned his team a very, very vital ground ball, which sealed the victory and pushed the Saskatchewan Rush to the Champions Cup final. Go ahead and tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe every I've often said that face-off men don't get the love and appreciation they truly deserve. I understand fans realize that a loose ball can be huge at certain points of the game, but many fans just look at the guys who take face-offs as fogos. It's the field term of things, 
but there's no such thing as a Fogo in the National Lacrosse League, and Jeremy Thompson earned the right to be considered a beast and earned the right to be the man this week when he went to the faceoff dot against Tyler Burton in a very crucial faceoff with 50 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter and Calgary pushing to tie the game down three late. Now, he could have just won the ball and then moved it, and that would have been great. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to. And so Thompson, as he always does, battled for every inch of floor space. With the pulse of the creator flowing through him, he picked up the loose ball, ran to space, was triple-teamed, was able to kill off valuable seconds of the clock and preserve the win for his team. He would end up losing possession, but then he'd get it back a little bit later on, and that officially sealed the deal. Thompson may not lead the league ever in scoring. He may not lead the league in cause turnovers, may not win a Defensive Player of the Year award or Transition Player of the Year award, but what he will earn is an unsung hero award because he is everything that award encompasses. Does the little things, makes big plays when needed, and when Derek Keenan needed him to step up, he did. And that's what unsung heroes do. He doesn't ask for credit. He doesn't want the accolades. He just wants to go out, do the dog, do his job, and help his team win. And with 50 seconds remaining, Jeremy Thompson rose to the occasion, and he was the man. Before we let you go, I kind of teased it earlier on about how there is a guy floating around that some NLL GMs might want to be looking at during the offseason. There's going to be a lot because there is a pretty decent draft class coming around. Um, There's a guy that just graduated from Duke, Miles Jones, who um, I would love to see play indoors. Uh, The guy is just an absolute monster, and I think he could be a real beast in transition. But the guy that I'm talking about has had time in the National Cross League. He is one of the best natural pass first guys to ever play the game. In junior, he was an incredibly gifted goal scorer. He's just a natural athlete. But sometimes life gets the better of us. Sometimes we don't truly buy in to the professional athlete mentality. I was one of those players. I just thought that I could get by in the National Lacrosse League And my career was never what I wanted it to be. I take full blame for that. But Corey Conway deserves to be in the National Lacrosse League. True to a point, he has had some issues. Personal, on and off the floor. And when he was with Calgary, he was still producing at a great level. But some felt that he wasn't fitting in with the team dynamic in the locker room. And unfortunately... That trait or that um, knowledge kind of filtered throughout the league. And people started saying that Corey Conway was a problem and that he wasn't good for their team. 
And so nobody brought him to camp. Not even Vancouver. I know they wanted to. Doug Locker had talked to Conway. He just wasn't there. Conway wasn't ready. And you know what? For a time, he wasn't even going to play in the summer. But the Shamrocks convinced him to come back last year. They said, you know what? We're going to make a run in the Man Cup. Wouldn't you like to win a Man Cup at home? I reached out to him. I said, man, this is an opportunity that not a lot of people get. And you're going to get a chance to win a Man Cup in front of your family and friends at home. And you know what? He did it. He stepped up and he was fantastic in the Man. But then he kind of reverted back to some of his old ways once the season was over. And when talks of him maybe coming back to the NLL were circulating, it just didn't seem like his head was in it. And then the Victoria Shamrocks announced that Corey Conway was back. And he was going to play for the Victoria Shamrocks this year. And they were excited to have him. And I kind of was worried because, like I said, I've known Corey for a long time and and the things that he's gone through. And, And again, he, at the time, he just really wasn't all in. Well, sometimes people just need a good old kick in the ass. And for Corey, I'm not sure what the defining moment was, but he's gotten himself clean, sober, and in the best shape he's been in since junior. He had a massive boiler on him. For those that know, a boiler is a bit of a belly. And that's gone. And he's off the booze. He's back in shape. He's committed to the Victoria Shamrocks. And boy, did he impress Friday night when the Shamrocks opened up their season against the Nanaimo Timberlands. Corey Conway had 17 points. That's pretty good. Most points in a WLA lacrosse game. It was a 75-year-old record. He had 15 assists, another WLA record. He had 11 assists in the first period, another WLA record. He absolutely torched the record books on a night where Victoria absolutely torched the Nanaimo Timberlands. And I know it's one game, it's the start of the year, and he could just completely drop off the face of the earth, and I may never mention his name again. That's probably not going to happen. Because Corey Conway is too good of an athlete not to keep this up. Now, he's not going to score 17 every night, and I think Stamper said it was like 350-odd points he's on pace for. That ain't happening, obviously. But Corey Conway led the league in assists last year, probably going to do it again, and has a bit of a chip on his shoulder and a point to prove. But I'm so happy and so proud for Corey Conway that he's cleaned up his life and been able to get back on the right track and not waste those God-given talents that he has. And if you can go back and watch the highlights, watch them. And watch the backhand goal that he scores. And tell me, he's not destined to come back in the National Cross League. Because if he can keep this play up, and if he can keep his attitude in the right direction, and he can stay on this course, 
There is no doubt in my mind that every single National Lacrosse League team will be calling him this summer. Honest. I truly believe that. And I think it'll be great for Corey Conway. And it'll be an incredible story to see a guy who was at the top of his game and then just... And it's not like everybody gave up on Corey Conway. Because they didn't. It's just that he he kind of had baggage. And teams didn't want to deal with that baggage. Well... He's thrown that baggage aside. He's turned over a new leaf. And we are seeing a new and improved Corey Conway. And I truly hope this story has a few more chapters and he gets back into the NLL. Because if he is, he will play an exact game of Callum Crawford. Identical. He may not do some of the jumping moves that Callum Crawford does, but who knows? Over time, once he gets his speed back, once he gets sort of accustomed to being 20 pounds lighter, he probably will be doing the stuff that Callum Crawford does. So I'm excited to see Corey Conway back in action this week. I was, again, in Saskatoon, so I wasn't at the Shamrocks game calling it. I will be back on the perch Friday night watching as he goes to work against the new Westminster Salmon Bellies. And you know what? Teams might have to start playing to defend him because now that team has Conway, Dutch, Small, and Shatler as their big four. That's pretty good. So kudos to Corey Small. Uh, sorry, Corey Conway. Um, the kitten, Corey Small, the new captain, had a pretty decent night. So did Reese Dutch. Um, it was a press of showing for the Victoria Shamrocks in their first game. Defending their Man Cup champions, but they got a long way to go. Uh, the WLA season is underway. Uh, games continue this week on Thursday. The Major Series League gets going next week, and we will be fully underway and just a mishmash of lacrosse. It's NCAA Championship weekend this weekend down south. It's game one of the NLL Champions Cup, and there's junior, senior, intermediate, minor, all those types of lacrosse going on in every city across this great country. So I thank you for tuning in and listening. I want to thank Kyle Rubish. I want to thank David Brock. And of course, I want to thank you, the fans, for listening week in and week out here on OTC. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar. Is the Twitter handle teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email address. I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. They will be fantastic. And I'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other. Woman, don't try to love me, don't try.